Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes in our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. the gods, the druid priests held fire rituals, prisoners of war, criminals, the insane, animals were burned alive in baskets. By observing the way they died, the druids believed they could see omens of the future. Two thousand years later, we've come no further. Samhain isn't evil spirits isn't goblins, ghosts, or witches. It's the unconscious mind. We're all afraid of the dark inside ourselves. Dr. Loomis, please listen to me. There's a file on Michael Myers that nobody knew about. I've seen everything. No, no, it was hidden, sealed by the court after his parents were killed. Now, after the governor heard what happened tonight, he authorized Dr. Rogers to open it. What file? It isn't fair. They should have allowed you to examine everything. That girl, that Strode girl, that's Michael Myers' sister. She was born two years before he was committed. Two years after, his parents died and she was adopted by the Strodes. They requested that the records be sealed in order to protect the family. Jesus, don't see what he's doing here in Haddonfield. He killed one sister 15 years ago. Now he's trying to kill the other. Tonight, after I shot him, where did they take her? The clinic. Clinic? Where? Do you know this area well? A little bit. Where's the hospital located? Dr. Loomis, we're under orders from the governor. It's back on Route 17, about three miles. Turn this car around now. I can't do that. I've got orders. Those orders just change. Dr. Loomis. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics, to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, 
and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Most long-running horror franchises have that one installment which was legitimately supposed to, but ultimately did not end the franchise. Some have several of them. In Hollywood, producers and sometimes audiences will quickly voice their disgust if you ever dare leave money on the table. Not that anyone knew that in 1981. Instead, all Mustafa, Akkad, Erwin Yablins, John Carpenter, and Deborah Hill wanted to do was make a little more money off of the slasher gold rush they inadvertently started in 1978 and then bow out. Doing so, though, meant making some controversial story decisions with rotating directors and edits. The resulting sequel they produced is inferior to the original, but Ron Rest and I will still return to Haddonfield, Illinois, to find the shape, also known as Michael Myers, as we discuss Halloween 2. So that's what we're discussing today. Welcome my good friend and co-host, Ron West. Say hello, Ron. Hello, Tim. So this, uh, we watched the Halloween movie. We did. Was this uh, Halloween season of the Wits that we watched? Uh, no. Was it the return of Michael Myers that we watched? No. Was it the curse of Michael Myers, the revenge of Michael Myers, H2O? <laughs> was it any of those? No, was it wasn't. Was the Halloween, Halloween 2 from 2009? No, not the, Rob Z- not the Rob Zombie uh, sequel remake. So That's right. We watched the early 1980s Halloween 2, <laughs> and this pains me because, Tim, what is my all-time favorite Halloween movie? Halloween, the first one. The original Halloween. I yeah. watch it all every year. Yep. I just watched it about a week ago. It still scares me. I was born in 1972, as we've talked about another podcast. Yeah. That movie came out in, what, 77 or 78? 78, yeah. So I saw it as a six-year-old in the movie theater, which I don't know what my parents were thinking, <laughs> but uh, they weren't paying for a babysitter. We're going to the movies, kid. You're coming with us. Right, right. Uh, and it pains me that Halloween 2 is... Nowhere near as, <laughs> as good as the original. No, no, it is not. So, um, so we know you saw it for the first time at the theater, as you said, and you watched it several times. Uh, well, I'm sorry, we saw Halloween in the theater. When did you see Halloween two? Did you see it in the theater uh, as well? I saw Halloween two in the theater as well. Um, I have not watched this movie uh, again. I probably. Like, it's been at least 10 years since I've seen this movie again, and that was probably changing the channels. And it, was, <laughs> it was on halfway through, and right. I watched a few parts and went, all right, I remember why I don't watch this one every year. Right. Um, I don't watch any of the other ones every year, uh, uh, other than uh, I do enjoy, and uh, uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead here, but the new Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween movie, which right. they build as a direct sequel to the original Therefore, making everything we watch that we're talking about on this podcast completely inconsequential. Right, right. Doesn't exist. Right. Um, But I actually kind of like that one, and I'm looking forward to the uh, second and third part of those. Right. uh, Kills and I feel what the third one is. They were supposed to be this year and next year, but they got pushed back because of COVID. Right. Um, But yes, I uh, I saw that in the uh, theater, and other than just being um, a kid happy to be seeing a movie with you know that's scary uh no no memories beyond that right 
Uh, well, I think you and I have discussed Halloween was not one of the horror franchises that I really watched. I think the first time I watched Halloween right. was actually with you. Or we, our, us, we and our wives watched it a couple of years ago in preparation for the new Halloween, the new sequel that came out in 2018. Um, at least if I had seen it before, then I don't remember. So, uh, to, to be fair and, and more accurate, I think we watched it. I, I'll let you speak about your wife yourself, but right. my wife was in the room as we watched it, looking at her phone because <laughs> she didn't really want to watch it. Yeah, and I think she fell asleep about halfway through as well. So, because we started it like at eleven thirty or twelve, it was, it was right. late. So, it was uh, late. yeah, but like. You know, I went through my like horror movie phase in like junior high. That's when I kind of got into all the horror movies and watched uh, Friday the Thirteenth. And you know, Freddy was a little bit more popular around that time, so I'd watched the original. Right, went back right. and watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street and watched all the ones up until that point. But Halloween was never. I mean, I knew what it was, but it wasn't one of the movies that I had really watched. So I don't have any recollection of any of them. So like I said, watching the original Halloween a couple of years ago with you. So watching Halloween 2 yesterday was the first time I've seen it, at least to my knowledge. Um, if I watched it when I was younger, just, you know, uh, which this is a very forgettable movie, so I could see how I would have forgotten about it, if, <laughs> even if I did. So Exactly. And um, mentioning all those franchises that you just did, I, I, and watching them recently, you know, it's notable to me that there was like one star they ended up coming out of all of those first movies. Right, oh yeah. Johnny Depp from Nightmare on Elm Street, right. Kevin Bacon from Friday the 13th, right. and then, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween. From Halloween. Yeah, and we'll talk about some other uh, people that got their little, oh, somebody specifically got their cameo in, in this. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. So let's talk a little bit about the pre-production. Of course, this is, once again, uh, we've done a few of these so far where this we're talking about a sequel for a movie that was actually made in the 70s, so we can't, we're not really t- talk much about the original one because this is an 80s movies podcast. We'll just talk about how this sequel came about. So um, I'm going to read this little bit from an article I read today I thought was pretty interesting. It says, One odd commodity between the three biggest slasher franchises, Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street, is they were never intended to be franchises, even though their first films all feature endings, which would seem designed to set up a sequel. Michael gets up and walks away at the end of Halloween. Something possibly is somehow still alive. Jason Voorhees attacks Alice at the end of Friday the 13th. Spoiler alert. Uh, Freddy possesses Glenn's car and probably kills Nancy's mom at the end of Nightmare on Elm Street. To modern eyes, obviously they were leaving the door open for further installments. However, the film industry was far less sequel and franchise prone back then. Filmmakers didn't think in those terms because sequels were really very rare and almost always critical and financial failures. So Friday's ending was less about sequel table setting and more about ripping off Carrie's one final scare. Elm Street's ending was a case of Wes Craven throwing a bone to the producer who hated the original idea to have a happy ending. Halloween's ending was purely an quote-unquote evil never dies affection, always scripted to end on the Lori Loomis was that the boogeyman exchange, but prolonged in the editing room. As the film's editor, Tommy Lee Wallace, told uh, Real Terror, almost as an afterthought, we had we had him get up and walk away and shot some extra footage on the blank ground. Then the other empty shots were stolen from other sequences. That was not planned on film. I think it was just a good way of drawing the curtain and saying, this was just a story, but now it's in your face. It's on your street. It's everywhere. That's a nice way to end a horror movie. 
it also turns out a nice way to leave audiences wanting more. So I thought that was interesting because it's true. I mean, we, wa- we watch these movies now and you're like, oh, they definitely wanted to make a sequel. But that really wasn't the original intent, even though sequels came about afterwards uh, of those movies as well. So Very interesting. The sequels were not kind of successful up until up until that, that time. Right. Uh, largely. I mean, I'm sure there, I mean, the Godfather 2 and the Empire Strikes Back, I mean, there's exceptions. Right. Um, but, yeah, just, just very interesting. And, of course, Halloween wanting to, once they got the idea to do it, then having the idea, and uh, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, to right. make it an anthology. Right, right. Thing, which is a really interesting concept. Yeah, exactly. Of, you have 20 Halloween movies and each one of them be about something different I mean, right. a, that is a really interesting oh yeah yeah um, but it, but right stab people into the wall well you got to think about it you had you know when that when halloween came out that was 1978 so friday the 13th hadn't even began begun yet so you had michael myers and you had jason Voorhees, and you give it a couple of years later you got freddy so you've kind of set a precedent of these single you know murderer, boogeyman, whatever, you know, slashers. Go ahead. And, and to, to be clear, part of, uh, we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit because we're, we're, we're inadvertently talking about Halloween 3, season <laughs> of the witch, which of course doesn't have Michael Myers, and then they decide to come back with Halloween 4 and put him back in it. Uh, neither one of those are, are, are our movie du jour for tonight of Halloween 2. Right. Uh, but just in talking about the franchise, it's hard to talk about the franchise without talking about that, that as bad as Halloween 2 is, Halloween 3 season of the Wiz is one of the worst Halloween movies, maybe movies in general, ever made. Right. It's terrible. Right. And to give a little behind the scenes, like when I was preparing for the podcast episodes and knowing that we had one coming out, you know, the day before Halloween this year, I think I texted you and said, which is the best Halloween to to talk about because I can't do the first one because it was in 78. And you were like, I don't remember your exact response, but you're just like, well, we can't do three because it's by far the worst. Um, and I think we kind of settled on two because it was the closest to the original one and at least more of a direct, a real direct sequel than the others. So, Yeah, at least it has Jamie Lee Curtis in it. Right, right. Because, you know, as the franchise advances, and again, we're skipping ahead here, just <laughs> everything that she survives, and then at some point in the future Halloween, it's like, oh, yeah, Louis Strokes, she died in the car crash. <laughs> and her parents had also died in a car crash. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her little sister showed up one of those. And just, they just ride everybody off in a car crash. Just a car crash. Yeah. Car crash. It happens. Like, uh, uh, they tried to write off uh, Lily and James Potter. Uh, yeah. Off to a yet. Told Harry. Died in a car crash. Um, so I guess that's the go-to uh, death. Right. Right. So, all right, well, let's, uh, we talk a little bit more about the, how things came about. So, as I mentioned, like Tommy Lee Wallace, who say served on the crew of the original film, he said that no one was all that excited over the prospect of a sequel, but producer Erwin Yoblins was eager to make a second film. When Yoblins approached him about the project, original director John Carpenter was in the midst of developing The Fog, uh, which came out in 1980, which is another one we'll definitely watch uh, for the podcast. Uh, Carpenter and Deborah Hill had no interest in making a sequel as they believed the original Halloween was a standalone movie. When the studio offered them more money to write the script... Carpenter took the job so he could earn back what he believes was his owed pay. At the time, Carpenter had seen little earnings from the original movie. He admitted that it received a significant back-end salary much later. However, the script was not forming out as well as he thought, 
and he personally stated that the only thing helping him through the screenplay process was a six-pack of Budweiser every day, which led to what he believes an inferior script and bad choices in the movie story. He later called Halloween 2, quote-unquote, an abomination and a horrible movie. Uh, so the original idea was actually setting the sequel a few years later after the events of Halloween. They planned to have Myers track Laurie Strode in her new home in a high-rise apartment building. However, the setting was later changed to Haddonfield Hospital in, a script, in certain script meetings. In a 1981 interview with Fangora magazine, Hill mentions the finished film differs somewhat from initial drafts of the screenplay. Upon receiving the script, Yablins was disappointed as he felt it was quote-unquote pedestrian and predictable. The plot twist of Laurie being Michael's sister was initially never planned by Carpenter or Hill, but was conceived, according to Carpenter, purely as a function of having decided to become involved in the sequel to the movie where I didn't think there was really much of a story left. He would later refer to this plotline as silly and foolish, though it would go on to shape the narrative arc of the series in the subsequent films. Yeah, and we've ta- I think we've, we've kind of talked about the whole sister, I guess you would call it a plot twist uh, back then. Uh, wasn't the best choice. Yeah, I mean, you're a you're his doctor. You've been his doctor for what fifteen years, right? Like, he was a six year old. Another name, twenty one. And then to say, "There's a file, Doctor. They never actually <laughs> see it. I don't know why." Right? Yeah, yeah. That scene was so oh, crazy. Said, the girl is actually his sister. Oh, that's why he came back. He killed his older sister. Now he's killing the younger sister. <laughs> um, uh, you know, just uh, just doesn't make any sense. And also, it's it's. Like the decision to do it the same night, you know, most of the things that happen to him, most of the things that Lori does to him in the original Halloween are not really things that would kill you. I mean, she stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, until Loomis shoots him, um, and, and, and I think she she stabs him earlier, or stabs right. him in the neck with a uh, with a sewing needle. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when he when he comes out of uh, there's a ball of yarn there with a sewing kit. And then, um, you know, I mean, Loomis shoots him and he falls out the window. Mm-hmm. But that's the first time where it's kind of like, where you get, you know, and then, and then he looks in and gone and you get the creepy feeling of, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then for him, to, when they come back in this one and he gets shot a bunch more times. Right. So you're like, okay, well, he's like a zombie now. Just, it just <laughs> becomes less scary. And also they show him so much in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's never. It's just like Jaws. They don't show the shark, and that's why it's scary and, and right. suspenseful all the right. movie. And the first one is you, you, you kind of you get that that first person camera angle from behind mm-hmm. him looking and the breathing, but you don't just see his whole body just standing there. Right. And then I I don't remember. I didn't look it up. I don't know if a different person played him in this movie. Yes. Yes. But it, they look significantly smaller. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. Mike's like five eight. Uh, yeah. We'll get into that. That was very noticeable, very very noticeable. So so going so, so talking about the whole sister thing. Another interview with John Carpenter, he revealed that the whole Michael and Lori being brother and sister was a consequence of the airing of the original Halloween on television. After NBC had obtained the television broadcast rights, they contacted him with a request for more footage since the film was too short for the intended time slot. Carpenter, who was making little progress in his Halloween 2 script, then conceived the whole hidden family connection inspired by the Luke, I'm your father revelation from 
Empire Strikes Back. This twist allowed him to film additional scenes for Halloween, which retroactively dropped hints to his family connections, such as a scene inside Michael Myers' cell where the word sister is carved into the door, and at the same time served as a plot device to get his new script going. Carpenter later said, the brother thing was awful, just awful. <laughs> so it also says the revelation that Michael is Laurie's older brother suggests that in the opening of the first film, when he is walking towards his parents with a bloody knife while they were coming out of the car, he might well have been on his way to murder her as a child while she was sitting in the back seat. That's interesting. And it's also interesting that and as with most things, all things come back to Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Man, George Lucas was really good back then. <laughs> he, uh, he got around, that's for sure. Right, right. Uh, but going back to the script, so interesting, I thought this was interesting. Several of the scenes and lines in this film were taken by John Carpenter from the novelization of the first Halloween, which was written by Curtis Richards and published in 1979. The most obvious references are the neighbor appearing from a house near the Doyle residence and speaking to Loomis. Their exchange is almost identical and includes the you don't know what death is line from Loomis. And Loomis going outside after shooting Michael to view his body, although Laurie accompanies him in the book. Loomis also says that his gun heightens my sense of security, a line he said to Deputy Hunt later in the movie. So, uh, which I, I did, is like I laugh, but I was like, that's a pretty good line when he was like, you know, uh, I've got people, kids trick or treat me to death. He's like, you don't even know what death is. And I was like, you know, that's kind of a great line, but it's so cheesy and so over the top. Uh, it was still laughable. So, you want to say anything about that opening scene? No. Um, I mean, the first several minutes of this movie is the ending of right. the first movie. Right. With Loomis shooting him and him falling and the repeating the boogie, the, uh, is that the boogeyman line? Right. Um, and so then when he runs downstairs, you know, but, but I mean, just the next, you just heard a series of gunshots. <laughs> And then yeah. coming out on the porch. Yeah. Hey, what's going right. on? Right. And it, that had to have been like, I mean, if there's five or six minutes have taken place since that, you know, he's fallen. They've come down the stairs. He's put his hand on the ground. He's got the blood, you know, in the grass. So, uh, yeah. Now, this is something that I know that, that you and I talked about. And, and you have to go back to our, our old podcast. We went and saw, we were we, we watched newer, newer movies and went and saw the movie Us a couple of years ago about Ron, who has seen so many horror movies, talks about people do very stupid things in horror movies. And in Us, the girl was doing everything she was supposed to do when the killers were in the house. So, uh, But I thought this interesting. Film critic Roger Ebert, who praised the first film, notes that the plot of the sequel was rather simple. He said, The plot of Halloween 2 absolutely depends, of course, on our old friend, the idiot plot, which requires that everyone in the movie... <laughs> Behave at all times like an idiot. That's necessary because if anyone were to use common sense, the problem would be solved and the movie would be over. Uh, he'll rebuff such critiques by arguing that in a th thriller film, what a character says is often irrelevant, especially in those sequences where the objective is to build up suspense. But yes, uh, it was very evident in this movie, like everybody is stupid. Nobody knows what the right thing to do is because if they did, it would have been taken care of much earlier. Uh the doctor, especially, so. Well, not just the doctor. I mean, the the hospital security guard. Yeah, I mean, you're you're in charge. You're literally in charge of security of the hospital. Right. They told you there's a guy in town killing everybody who has escaped from a mental hospital. 
you go outside and see a broken lock. I'm like, oh, someone <laughs> may have broken into the hospital. Right. How about you go call the police and say, hey, you guys might want to get over right. here someone broke it. Right. You know? But no, you're just fumbling around in the dark. Yeah. Oh, there's another broken lock. <laughs> Those sequences were so funny uh, to me. And once again, like, uh, you know, I told I told Tyra after it was over, I was like, you would have been okay with this one because it's really not scary because every every trope that we've seen duplicated in every horror movie since then, you see coming a mile away in this one. I mean, it's, you know, the he walks in the room, stuff falls out, the door is still open. When he closed the door, you know Michael is going to be there and he's going to kill him. So it's like there was, there was no part of this movie where I was really scared or had any kind of real jump scare from anything because I knew exactly what was going to happen before it happened. So, uh Right. Like the nurse and the EMT are in the uh, jacuzzi. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're bringing bodies and things in. They told you that there's a guy. (laughs) And you go into this room with this big glass window and, 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 like, intentionally aren't looking behind you. Right. At least sat the other way in the jacuzzi. So you were facing the open door. Right. Exactly. They're going back to it so we can't see. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's the I, I saw that quote by Ebert, and I liked that the uh, the idiot. You know, you <laughs> have to um, if anybody in the movie does anything that any normal person would do, <laughs> the threat is instantly over. Yeah, um, and then of course I'm, we're seeing that the the I think it's a Geico commercial where it's like they're they're spoofing the horror movies where like the the teenager outside is like, you know, where are we going to go to hide? Why don't we run to the to the running car? He's like, what are you, crazy? crazy? Let's go hide behind the chainsaws. Yeah, that sounds like a smart idea. It's like, that's exactly what it's like, so. That's exactly what happens. And I'm just thinking out loud, realizing something. To a certain degree, the sequels that would come after this that, you know, bring Michael Myers back, um, similar to Jaws 2. I mean, Jaws 2, Jaws blows up. Right. But yet, somehow, Jaws is (laughs) still around after he has exploded. Right. And Michael Myers has... Burned, right, right. You know, I mean, not just you know, he got shot. But people have people have survived being shot five, ten, fifteen times. Nothing hit anything vital, and they, right. you know, it's not common, but it's happened. Uh, but for him to just be completely on fire and collapsing, yeah, and, you know, they're kind of showing it again to make it look like there's nothing left. Yeah, because I know they had said that that was it at yeah. the time when they did Halloween two. It's the end of Michael Myers and mm-hmm. Laurie Strode. Um, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he burned to a crisp, but <laughs> his skin cells and everything regenerated on Halloween 4, and he's back. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the director. So, of course, Carpenter did not return uh, to direct this one. As we said, said previously, he was working on The Fog. So uh, he, uh, he originally approached Tommy Lee Wallace, who we mentioned as, was the editor uh, I'm mean, sorry, the art director from the original Halloween to take the helm. Uh, Carpenter told one interviewer, I had I'd made the film once and I didn't really want to do it again. Uh, after Wallace declined, Carpenter chose Rick Rosenthal, a relatively unknown and inexperienced director whose previous credits included episodes of the television series Secrets of Midland Heights, which I've never heard of. Uh, Rick Rosenthal was chosen direct based on a short film he had made called The Toyer while a student at the American Film Institute. Deborah Hill had also considered directing at one point, but did not want to appear as just a protege of Carpenter. Uh, Stylistically, Rosenthal attempted to recreate the elements and themes of the original film. 
He said, conceptually, it's not at all my film. It's a continuation of a John Carpenter and Deborah Hill film. But in execution, it's my vision. Uh, Halloween 2 opens with a title sequence zooming in on a jack-o'-lantern that splits in half to reveal a human skull. A reference to the original film's title sequence would feature a similar zoom into the eye of a jack-o'-lantern. The first scene of the film is presented through a first-person camera format in which a voyeuristic Michael Myers enters an elderly couple's home and steals a knife from the kitchen. Rosenthal attempts to reproduce the jump scenes present in Halloween, but does not film Myers on the periphery, which is where he appeared in many of the scenes of the original. Under Rosenthal's direction, Myers is the central feature of a majority of the scenes. Rosenthal also stated they attempted to re replicate the visual elements of the previous film until the audience we see the or until the audience has seen everything in the hospital. Uh, once you're there, he was able, he said he had a certain freedom, long corridors, moody dark lighting, all of that. Uh, he said the first movie I ever did uh, was a sequel, talking about Halloween 2, but it was supposed to be a direct continuation. It started one minute after the first movie ended. You have to try hard to maintain the, maintain the style of the first movie. I wanted it to feel like a two-parter. You have the responsibility and the restraints of the style that's been set. It was the same crew. My philosophy was to do more of a thriller than a slasher movie, which seemed to be that was his idea. <clears throat> but unfortunately... Uh, Carpenter didn't like that idea. You know, you know the story already. I do. Okay. So the decision to include more gore and nudity in the sequel was not made by Rosenthal, who contends that it was Carpenter who chose to make the film much bloodier than the original. Wallace explained, since the release of Halloween, horror movies had changed. There was inf inflation involved in terms of violence and gore, and what you saw on screen to the point that John Carpenter felt like it was in a box. He could not do the same thing that Halloween had been doing. According to the film's official website, Carpenter came in and directed a few sequences to clean up some of Rosenthal's work. One reviewer of the film notes that Carpenter, concerned that the picture would be deemed too tame by the slasher audience, refilmed several death scenes with more gore. When asked about his role in the directing process, Carpenter told an interviewer, That's a long, long, long story. That was a project I got involved in as a result of several different kinds of pressure. I had no influence over the direction of the film. I had an influence in the post-production. I saw a rough cut of Halloween 2, and it wasn't scary. It was about as scary as the TV show Quincy MD. So we had to do some post-production work to bring it to at least up to par with the competition. Rosenthal was not pleased with Carpenter's changes. He reportedly complained that Carpenter ruined my carefully paced film. Regardless, many of the graphic scenes and contained elements not seen before in film. Uh, Roger Ebert claims the movie has the first close-up I can remember of a hydrodermic needle being inserted into an eyeball. The film is often categorized as a splatter film rather than a slasher film due to the elevated level of gore. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. Splatter versus yeah. slasher. I was going to ask, would you, would, you know, what's, what is there really a difference in that cutting I scenes? Slasher, slasher film is just any, any film that has a person killing with, with knives and, and things of that nature, but Splatter is probably more of just where it's the cheesier. It's it's just the over the top gore, just for the sake of gore's okay. sake, or gotcha. probably making it more. You know, so some of the some of the you know terrible movies of the eighties. You know, like uh, I don't know, like uh, my my bloody Valentine, right, right, cheerleader camp movies where they're just they're slasher films because there's somebody with a with a knife 
going around killing people. But um, like even like Scream, I'd say Scream is a slasher film. Um, people die with, with knives, but um, you know it's not it's not uh, horror porn, I guess, for lack of a better word. Which gotcha. is what I would I would say would be more splatter. All right, well, let's talk about casting. So uh, the main cast of Halloween reprised their roles in the sequel with the exception of Nick Castle, who had played the adult Michael Myers in the original. Uh, we'll t- talk about his replacement in a second. Veteran English actor Donald Pleasance continued the role of Dr. Sam Loomis, who had been Myers' psychiatrist for the last 15 years while Myers was institutionalized at Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Uh, Curtis, who was then 20, Jamie Lee Curtis, who was then 22, again played the teenage babysitter Lori Strode, revealed in this film as the younger sister of Myers. Curtis required a wig for the role of long-haired Lori Strode, as she had her own hair cut shorter at the time, which was pretty noticeable. Uh, so, stunt performer Dick Warlock portrayed, portrayed Michael Myers, as in Halloween, listed as the shape in the credits. Uh, he replaced Castle, who was beginning his career as a director. He uh, later directed uh, The Last Starfighter and some other uh, 80s films. Warlock's previous experience in film was as a stunt double uh, in films such as The Green Berets and Jaws and the 1974 television series Coljack, The Night Stalker. As you mentioned, he is the shortest Michael Myers in the entire series. In fact, he wore lifts in order to appear taller. And I will say the lifts did not help. Because, I mean, as soon as he came out, I was like, um, <clears throat> he looks really small. Like, he looks short. Like, he just like a, he's just a smaller guy. So, uh, Does not look menacing at all. No. Another interesting thing is, in addition to his role as Michael Myers, uh, Warlock also appeared as the policeman who accidentally hits Ben Tramer with his patrol car and crashes it into a van. Warlock only drove the car himself during the crash scene, but also did all of his own stunts as Michael Myers. So, well, and let's and you bring up a good point there that I wanted to talk about this movie. Poor Ben Tramer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, basically, you don't want to have anything to do with Laurie Strode because her two best friends get killed. Uh, best friend's boyfriend gets mm-hmm. killed. The two kids that she's babysitting are literally traumatized for life. Right. As a, 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 a you know, based on what happened that night, and then old Ben Tramer, who just gets mentioned in the first movie as someone that she's got a crush on, <laughs> right, you know, and, right? And her friend Annie calls him to say, "Hey, she's got a crush. Maybe she go to." And then all of a sudden, boom, he's dead, hit by a car, right? Which then smashes him into another car, yes. wedging him between the two, and then they, they catch on fire, right? Burn him to the point that only dental records. Like, <laughs> my gosh. It, it, Right now, I want to you know once again we're 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 talking about movies made in the early '80s, so you know there's there wasn't a whole lot of logic, but um, that scene of him being hit with the car was pretty pretty horrible. Uh, but but why when he gets out of the cars, uh, he just came out of nowhere. He was walking about as slow as anybody could walk. The car was had to have been doing sixty miles an hour. And he ran him right into a trailer. So it's like he didn't swerve to hit him. He didn't. It was like you were going to crash into the trailer even if you didn't exactly. hit the kid. <laughs> exactly. Even if he didn't hit him, he was 
still got to crash the car. It's right, blow up. right. So when he's when he's like he he just came out of nowhere. I was like, did that even matter? Why would that even you know? Oh, that's funny. That that scene. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Good foreshadowing for how Meyer, Michael Myers was going to die at the end with in being engulfed in flames because when they did that long shot of uh, Ben Ben's body being burned, you know. And I guess uh, the doctor trying to figure out if that's really him or not. Uh, I was like, I have a feeling this is how he's gonna he's gonna take he's gonna end up dying at the end, even though that's not him. So yeah, but I, I did I did like that's probably my favorite part of the movie. That <laughs> at least they give a, a little shout out to this character who, whose name is mentioned several times that we never see. Right, and then like, some continuity where he kind of rolls over into uh, into this movie. All right, back to casting. Okay. Uh, so uh, a host of character actors were cast at the hospital staff. Many were acquaintances of director Rosenthal. He told an interviewer, I've been studying acting with Milton Catlissus at the Beverly Hills Playhouse and have brought many people from the Playhouse into Halloween 2. These included Pamela Susan Shoup, Leo Rossi, Anna Alicia, and Gloria Gifford. Uh, Rossi played the part of Bud Scarlatti, a hypersexual EMS driver, who I thought he was the same guy that was in Greece, but I think it might be somebody different. Uh, but he d- he what did have some other acting uh, roles after this. Uh, okay. Yeah, Rossi as well as other as several others such as Stevens had been members of an acting class with Rosenthal. Uh, Shoot played nurse Karen Bailey, who was scalded to death by Myers in the hospital therapy tub. Featured in the only nude scene in the film, Shoot discussed filming the scene and recalled getting an ear infection. She said the water was cold and dirty. They were playing it off like the water was boiling, but it was absolutely freezing. Leo and I were so cold, our teeth were chattering, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, thinking of how they felt, why would they, I mean, I guess they didn't want it to actually be hot because that's how they die or, you know, Michael Myers turns the heat up. Uh, but for it to be like freezing cold, that's pretty cruel uh, for them to be in that. Uh, Gifford and Alicia played minor supporting roles as head nurse Miss Virginia Alves and orderly Janet Marshall. So uh, one of the first people I noticed in this was actor Lance Guest, who played the other EMS driver, Jimmy. Uh, he was Alec in the last, or Alex in the Last Starfighter, which came out in 1984, which was directed by Nick Castle, who played the original Michael Myers. Uh, uh, Castle stated in an interview when I had si- I was assigned to the film The Last Starfighter. Lance Guest was the first name I wrote down on my list for Alex after seeing him in Halloween 2. Uh, Castle adds, he possessed all the qualities I wanted the character to express on the screen, a kind of innocence, shyness, yet determination. Uh, the one that you mentioned to me before I watched it was future Saturday Night Live and Wayne's World star Dana Carvey also appears briefly in a non-speaking role wearing a blue baseball cap and receiving instructions from a TV reporter. Carvey originally had a bigger, a bit of a bigger role, including some speaking scenes, before his scenes were ultimately cut. So, and Lance Guest, uh, who we kind of see get in the car at the end of the movie and then fall forward. Right. You know, there, there are some extra scenes where Lori sees him. I don't know if it's in the same ambulance that she's in or right. another ambulance, but he, he does live. Yeah. She sees yeah. that he lives, and they have a, a brief interaction. Although on, on the movie, the way it's usually shown, we don't we don't get that. Part. Right. Yeah, I think that was for the TV edit, and uh, I'll mention that later. But I think he actually comes back for. Uh, isn't he in the third one? I want to say he 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 returns in one of the other, one of the later uh, Halloween movies as well. I think I saw. 
I'm not sure. Now I'm just thinking about The Last Starfighter, which yeah. I would greatly like to watch. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good movie. I, 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 I missed that. I haven't seen that in a while. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely definitely go back and watch that. And I, I just watched that within the last year. It's when it popped up. I was like, that's The Last Starfighter. So um, as far as filming, Halloween executive producers Erwin Yablins and Mustafa Akkad invested heavily in the sequel, boasting a much larger budget than its predecessor. Uh, they budgeted $2.5 million compared to only $320,000 for the original. Italian film producer Dino De Laurentiis assisted in financing the production. There was discussion of filming Halloween 2 in 3D. Woohoo! Hill said, We investigated a number of 3D processes, but they were far too expensive for this particular project. Also, most of the projects we do involve a lot of night, sh- night shooting. Evil lurks at night, you know. It's hard to do that in 3D, so... Uh, very glad this was not a 3D movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> although for that time or for that era, it would be, have been far more likely for Halloween 3 to be a 3D movie. Like right. Like 3. Right. We got a lot of uh, crappy 3D movies in the, in the <laughs> mid-80s. This is true. But then they could have been, you know, Halloween 3D, Season of the Witch. Uh, just like we had Jaws 3D. Uh, so there, was some, there was another movie with 3D. There, there was. Yeah. So, so you know, we talked about, of course, uh, uh, Dick Warlock uh, playing Michael Myers in this one. But did you know that he wore the same mask uh, from the first movie? Yeah, I've read that in, in, in uh, doing a little research for this, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, that uh, it was the same mask. Yeah, it looks different in the sequel because the paint had faded due to a few reasons. First, because Nick Castle, uh, the original Michael, kept it in his back pocket during shoots. Also, Deborah Hill kept the mask under her bed for several years until the filming of Halloween 2, causing it to collect dust and yellow because Hill was a heavy smoker. Also, the mask appears wider because Dick Warlock is shorter and stockier than Nick Castle, so the mask fit his head differently. As the producers thought it would be the final sequel in the series, they let Warlock keep the mask, scalpel, boots, jumpsuit, and knife used in filming. When they decided, oh, wow. yeah, when they decided to revive Michael in Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers, the producers realized they'd made a mistake and never again gave props out to the cast and crew. Therefore, subsequent sequels used different masks that looked rather different. What if he still has them all? No, he like, auctioned them off. No, he sold them to a. Uh, I read this. I didn't write it down, but he sold them to a haunted house. Uh, like much later, uh, not realizing. I think this was, or not much later, but like a couple years later, not realizing that they would ever ask ask for that stuff back. And he had done like a couple other movies and didn't think they were gonna. You know, that era was over. Not thinking they were gonna do sequels, so he sold it to a uh, to some haunted house. So whoever that haunted house owner is, he he. I hope he held on to him. Yeah, I mean that that collection. I mean together. I mean you could get somebody now to pay a pretty. pretty oh yeah, definitely. So now, how you would be able to authenticate that that's the original ones? That'd be a little tougher to do, probably. But the fact that it's coming from him, the person that it was given to, right, uh, would would go a long way towards that. Yeah. We we talked about the television cut, or you know, uh, making movies for television they had to add some extra scenes so the television cut for this one runs approximately 92 minutes roughly one minute less than the theatrical version there are many edits such as the murders of alice dr mixter janet and miss alves all presumed to still happen 
but some are off camera. Jimmy's discovery of Mrs. Alvarez dead and his subsequent slipping on the pool of blood had been significantly shortened or removed altogether in some prints or moved just prior to the explosion which kills Myers and Loomis. Also added are scenes of Michael cutting the power, which explains the dark setting throughout the latter half of the film, and a power generator kicking in. There is also extra dialogue between Lori and Jimmy, Lori and Mrs. Alvarez, Janet and Karen, Karen and Mr. Garrett, Bud and Karen, Jill and Jimmy, etc. Another notable difference is the killing of the marshal, and the theatrical version of his throat is slit, while on the TV version it is softened with Michael grabbing him and stabbing him from behind, with no detail shown. While the theatrical version ends with the deaths of Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis and leaves the audience in a gray area as to whether Jimmy survives, the television cut features an extended ending showing Jimmy alive with a bandaged head wound from his fall and the ambulance with Laurie Strode. They hold hands and Laurie says, we made it. And when, when next we see Jimmy, he's uh, playing a video game and launching <laughs> into space to save us all going from surviving mental patients to uh, surviving intergalactic wars. There you go. There you go. All right. So uh, I don't think this one's going to have uh, too many, but do you have a favorite scene of this movie? <laughs> or an My iconic scene? is Ben Trevor getting hit by the car and crushed <laughs> and then the car blowing up and then him burning. <laughs> That is my favorite. And honestly, any scene that Donald Pleasance is excited in, because yeah. he is so over the top. Oh, yeah. It's over the top in a good way. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it's just hilarious. It was the same way in the first one. And when, so when he gets excited, like his, you don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I mean, there's so many different ways he could have delivered that line. But yeah. um, it, he, he when he gets excited and just, it, it's just hilarious. Yeah. Uh, unintentionally hilarious. Yeah. Um, so those would be my my favorite. Um, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is a complete. I mean, she just went through a horrible ordeal, but she is such the victim. Yeah. In this movie, of just every shot of her is just. Uh, right. Right. And and so that's uh, you know I don't I could do without that I I, I I'm. I'm much more like her in the more recent Halloween oh, yeah. where she's been living out in the woods and, yeah. and, and setting traps and making bombs and has yeah. like 38 firearms. I, I, I prefer <laughs> that version of her character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was interesting too, that she still gets, I don't know if she got top billing or I know her and Donald Pleasance got top billing. I don't remember who was above the yeah. other, but she has far less screen time. Like I think she only has like 25 minutes of the whole movie, but because like the first two thirds of the movie, she's unconscious, really. Uh, right. I think Michael Myers is on screen more than she is in this one. Right. The um, they're they're both they're side by side on the opening credits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Don, I think Donald Pleasant is on the left, and Jimmy the Chris is on the right. Yeah. I couldn't remember if one was a little higher than the other. I know they were both in there at the same time, but yeah. Uh, but I mean, of course, you know they're they're gonna want to use her name because she that was kind of her breakup breakout role uh, in the first one for sure. So yeah, I don't really have a favorite scene. Uh, there's nothing that I was like, ooh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm kind of like you. I enjoyed Donald Pleasant scene just for the over the top actingness of it. Um, uh, but I can't think of I think the scene in the car when when he takes over the car with the uh, to drive to the to the hospital. 
uh, he's got the gun or whatever. I mean, that was, and, and the, the other, the nurses telling him about, you know, there's a file you don't know about. And like that whole scene we talked about earlier is it was, uh, it was very, um, very eighties soap opera like of like, you know, there's this, we've been holding this, that, that you, we just now figured out in the writing room, we have to make sure that you know about, you know, so it's just, uh, it was for, it was so far out of left field, but it was just, it was funny. So. I know every. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I've seen every file. You haven't seen every file. I know I did. No, you didn't. You know, just the. (laughs) It's like it's either poor directing, poor writing, poor acting, or a combination of all three. All the above. So. Uh, All right. Well, let's talk about a few a few little trivia things, and then then we'll start to close this one out. So, um, a, a few goofs, I guess. In the original Halloween, Dr. Loomis fires six shots from his revolver to stop Michael. And Halloween 2, during the replay of the scene from the first movie, he fires seven shots. Also, when Michael falls from the terrace, there's an obvious ramp leading to the top of the railing. And I don't know if you knew this part. I thought this was really interesting because I remember this as a kid. When the mother and son leave the hospital, the mother mentions the boy biting a razor blade. Do you, did you catch that? Yeah, because yeah. of candy in the 80s. Yeah. This is based on a popular urban myth of children biting blades and apples given out on Halloween. However, if one reads uh, the Snopes article about pins and needles and Halloween candy, most cases were hoaxes put forward by children and or parents. In reality, the kids who did die were specifically targeted uh, and not just one crazed person handing out bad candy to random people, as the math state, the myth states. Tragically, in 1982, just one year after the movie's release, the urban myth would intensify because a man laced Tylenol with cyanide, killing seven people. However, to this day, numerous investigations have found little to no evidence of any real tampering with Halloween candy, homemade or bought. So, uh, But yeah, I thought that was interesting. They, they added that into the movie as, since that was a big myth, especially at that time. So, uh, I remember going through Halloween candy as a kid and... Absolutely. Feeling for stuff, so. Every year they had to inspect it, and anything that wasn't, didn't come packaged, you know, like a Reese cup or something, like homemade stuff. Yeah, yeah. Something could get, even though we knew everybody. Yeah. Uh, um, unless we knew them really well, then it was okay. Right. Um, but otherwise, if we just kind of knew them, nope, you had to throw it away. Uh, and there was also a, um, and that's, it's escaping me right now, and I don't have it in front of me, but there was something that happened that year after Halloween 2 where a guy killed, you know right. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was called the Halloween 2 killings. I didn't write it down, but uh, yeah, there was a guy that basically uh, had watched Halloween 2 while on LSD, marijuana, and alcohol. PCP. Yeah. PCP, too. PCP, yeah. So, and uh, he went and killed like an elderly couple and. During the trial, they showed they I guess they showed either scenes from the movie or made them watch the movie, and they determined that some of the same killings were dupl- you know were identical to the things in the movie. Uh, so yeah, right. so yeah, that was kind of crazy. But then it was a, a year or two after after the movie came out. So so I know this is somewhat off subject, but I guess somewhat on subject based on the you know the the this thing, but. Do you have any fun Halloween stories you want to share from the from the eighties? I mean, we're talking about Halloween. It's the episode that's going to come out, you know, around Halloween. Because uh, uh, I was just thinking, because I was just thinking, I was like, I don't remember ever getting any homemade candy. I can't even think of what homemade candy would have been back then. Balls. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, popcorn 
that was pretty popular. Yeah. Um, I, I have a couple. Uh, I don't know how funny it is. No one may care. But we, um, <laughs> I, in the little uh, town where I lived on the, that particular street, when I was kind of old enough to kind of go on my own, you know, junior high age, I was one of the older kids. And uh, the, the, almost every year, I went twice. Okay. Uh, and changed my costume. I went once <laughs> with like people my age, and, uh, or I'm sorry, I went once with them because usually the younger kids would go a little earlier, and uh, I would kind of help, you know, help them, you know, kind of knew the kids, and then I would go home, completely change costumes, and <laughs> go again with the people my age and double up on the candy, and no one ever. And I was the paper boy. I mean, I knew all these people I was getting candy from. <laughs> they lived right down the street from me. And no one ever uh, picked up on that. Wow. Um, and then there was another year where the police came to my house because uh, some guys uh, near my house, there was this uh, little bridge, a little walking bridge. And um, it kind of was over the top of the main road. And some guys had gone over there on it and were throwing eggs at cars. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'd st- I, st- I still, to this day, do not know why. Uh, somebody called the cops said hey someone's doing eggs the cops came and started asking people did you see anything see anything he asked this kid uh, that went to my school that I barely knew and he <laughs> said it was me and me and my, my best friend Marty at the time and it was like yeah, that was Ronnie West and Marty Tops and, uh, <laughs> um, and, and and my mom and dad and the police told him hey we got a you know, they told us that the your son and his friend were throwing eggs, and so they straight into what are you doing throwing eggs? <laughs> like, no, no, did you throw eggs? Which we did not. We did not have any. Like, I didn't do stuff that would cause damage. Right, eggs right. Cause damage to the paint and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Not Doing that, um, and so we like it took a lot of talking and complaining and and convincing them. We weren't even over. Like, you can see that bridge from my house. <laughs> did you see me on that bridge? Right, right. Uh, and, uh, and we kind of knew who it was because there were some older, some kids older than us that we saw head in that direction, but mm-hmm. we weren't going to, we weren't going to dime them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have uh, those stories. I don't think I have any uh, like scary Halloween stories. The only other thing I have is um, when my wife and I were first dating before we were married in Orlando, there was a place called Terror on Church Street, which was basically a year-round haunted house. Okay. Um, and it was in a little building in downtown Orlando at the Church Street Station, which used to be a place that had a lot of bars and, then, and it had arcades and things during the day, and had nightclubs. And uh, on one of the corners there, they had a place called Terror on Church Street. And uh, especially on Friday and Saturday night, it would get pretty busy. Right. And it was it's like one of the townhouses you, you walk through and people are jumping out. You can't see even a foot in front of you. It's just pitch black. And... Um, you're told not to touch the people and stuff. And right, I right. took Denise when we were just first dating. And uh, uh, well, it was, it was, it was, we've been dating, I guess, probably about a year, I guess. Um, well, I, I mean, I was taking her at Halloween, so I can't say that. But we were dating, and she still has not forgiven me to this day. <laughs> and she says it's one of the reasons she will not watch scary movies now, because she got so scared. She had her face buried between my shoulder blades right uh and would not look, look up, up. <laughs> uh, or, or do anything. we went to um about five years ago uh we took our daughter to uh orlando to um halloween horror nights right and my wife and i learned to go and not go to the uh not go to all the haunted house things but it's a great time to just ride rides because no one's riding rides so you can go get on the harry potter ride like 10 times if you want <laughs> and just ride it back to back to back to back because no one's in line for it and um 
but I, the Walking Dead was there. Right. The Walking Dead house. Right. And I'm a big Walking Dead fan, and I was like, oh, let's do this one haunted house Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And she she couldn't even do it. Like we made it like the first turn, literally. And she was like, no, <laughs> nope, no, nope. I know you have an emergency exit. I know you have an emergency exit. I know you have an emergency exit. <laughs> and we had to get out and go through the emergency exit and 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 leave. Um. So uh, that's all. Okay. So you don't you don't have anything favorite Halloween costume as a kid. Yeah, I was, I was gonna. I was gonna say like I, I remember costumes more than anything like really happening on Halloween. Um, uh, I have and most, some of them I remember from pictures. Like I remember dressing up like as ho- for some reason hobos were a big thing when I was real little. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we had I had like this mask with like the fake cigar and like we would just wear like overall like clothes we had overalls and my mom would like get a stick and like put a a, a handkerchief on the end and like stuff it with probably toilet paper or something to make it look like it's big or whatever. Uh, but I do remember one year, uh, it was kind of last minute and couldn't remember what we were going to do. And my mom came with the idea. My mom was, my mom is very crafty. So she, she comes with good ideas, but we decided to make me as a mummy. And I think she used toilet paper and just rolled, you know, rolled me up in toilet paper to make me look like a mummy. But the problem was the more I walked, the, the, it all started falling apart. So all my wrappings were falling apart so I just looked like it. Just I didn't I didn't make it very far without all the. I don't remember, maybe it wasn't wrap. Maybe it wasn't toilet paper. Maybe it was like ace bandages or something. But whatever it was, we couldn't keep them secured enough while I walked for them to stay on me. So they kept falling off as I was going around. So if she was crafty, it could have been like that crepe paper um, stuff. Maybe that uh, yeah people had around they used for for different yeah. things. I don't remember what um, she used. I just remember it falling off and me getting frustrated. Um, uh, going, I, this is, I will tell this, this one story you mentioned as a kid, as a, as a teenager, uh, I've mentioned on the podcast before I lived on a military base for a while, um, uh, and during like late junior high, early high school. And, uh, they would have like these teen of, they tried to do stuff for, for teenagers on the base. And they had, they would do like teen dances that weren't at the school. They were like at the little teen or youth center or whatever on the base and so they were doing a costume party for Halloween, and so everybody was supposed to come dressed up. And me and my friend had this, what we thought was a genius idea. We're going to dress as nerds, and we got the most goofiest, you know, mismatched stuff. And we you know, made our hair stand up, look like, you know, alfalfa or whatever. We walk into this dance, and there's all these girls. and like, who's going to want to dance with a bunch of nerds <laughs> dressed like... <laughs> So we ran right to the bathroom to try to like fix our hair and try to like switch stuff up so we didn't look so crazy. And it was like, what were we thinking? Why did we think this was a good idea? And, uh, uh, you know, as most dances in junior high and high school, I did not have any dances with any girls uh, during, the, <laughs> during that dance. But. So it was like every other dance that yeah. you know, I went to. I exactly. I needed to blame it on dressing up like a nurse to make you still feel better. Though. Yeah. Um, uh, my memories of school dances are me walking around the outside. I just, for some reason, I just did laps. I, I didn't want to stand still to look desperate, but I didn't. I was too afraid to ask anybody. So I would just walk and just pace. I'd get a drink and just walk around. So, um I don't know. I was a weird kid. The reason hobos were so popular was because we didn't have money. So it was easy for a mom to say, hey, <laughs> yeah. that pair of pants you got over there with a yeah. hole in them? Yeah. I'm going to sew a patch on them <laughs> and uh, take some of my, uh, my eye makeup. And, uh, right, exactly. Uh, and a mustache on you. And guess what? You're a hobo. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, um, 
I don't remember getting, like, buying costumes for Halloween as a young kid. Everything was pretty much homemade back then. I And I think even when we got, like, those really cheap plastic masks, like the little rubber oh, band around the back, they I, I you couldn't see out of them, you couldn't breathe. Uh, so I never liked wearing those. So I would take anything over over that. So, uh, but yeah. I think we should bring those back for adults. Like uh, uh, adult uh, plastic wear with a, a mask that you can't breathe out of, can't see out of. And it, but it's okay because the rubber band is going to break five minutes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those rubber bands didn't last for anything. Yeah. Like, put your eye out. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, many of them snapped and popped me in the ear. I still have pain. I can feel the pain of that <laughs> of that, that rubber band snapping and right popping me in the ear. So. All right. Well, uh, I think we're, we're wrapping up here. Yeah. Favorite Halloween candy to get that when you saw this and you were like, yeah. Favorite for me, it was a Reese's Cup. If I got a Reese's Cup, I was over the moon. Yeah. Um, I like Tootsie Rolls. I'm still a big fan of Tootsie Rolls. And then um, there was one, and it it would come in an orange, like waxy paper wrapper, and it was like butter. It wasn't butterscotch, but it was like a caramel. It was a brown candy. Um, sometimes it came in it came in orange or black uh, wrapping. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was kind of it was caramelish. Yeah, but it had like uh, a little. It yeah, it was kind of chewy. Caramel, but it was, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was real chewy. Yeah, those those are kind of things I liked. I. I've never been a big peanut butter and chocolate fan, so I never really got into Reese's. Like, I didn't like Reese's Pieces either. I, I was more of an M&M's guy. Um, but I, I, I'll ask this question. Uh, candy corn, yes or no? Uh, you know, I like a little candy corn. Oh, and I like to eat it in by color. <laughs> so, by color? Uh, do they come in uh, Do uh, they come in various colors? No, but I bite off the... Oh, okay, the, the, the end. Color, right. I bite off the middle section, okay. and, then I eat, and then I eat, I guess, what is the butt of the candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, now, I, I say, yes, I, I would eat them when I was a kid. They were in my bag or something. Yeah. like Tootsie Rolls, because I was American. I'm not eating Tootsie Rolls. I don't know what your problem <laughs> is with the Tootsie Rolls. Um, Why is Tootsie Roll not American? Like what? You probably like some Charleston chews. I did like Charleston chews. I instantly was trying to trade those to anybody. Charleston chews, licorice. Oh, uh, I don't do licorice. Uh, uh, so. But I would I would eat the candy corn that yeah. came. My, and I, that might have been because my dad liked candy corn. Okay. So he would sit there and eat the uh, candy corn. Candy corn peeps. Uh, some people don't like peeps. We would get um, the little, uh, not peeps, um, the uh, the little peanuts, the, uh, the foam, uh, like peanuts, you know what I'm talking about? They're kind of orange. Like they were candy oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like marshmallow, yeah, uh, like marshmallow right. peanuts. Yeah. It was like a pee-pee, a pee-pee peanut. Um, <laughs> yeah, but for me, it was, and we always had that one house uh, that would put a penny in your... Oh, really? Yeah, there was this one house down the street that would give everybody a penny. I was like, what are you doing? Just, just <laughs> turn off your light. Don't give out anything. Don't... Don't give a penny. We can't even go buy any of this candy right. at the store with the penny. Now, there was, at one of the places I lived, somebody that we went to must have been a dentist or worked in a dentist office because we'd get a toothbrush and a and a thing of floss. Uh, I'd find we it in the bag. Too, but our dentist, he lived right down the street from us, obviously, the paperboard. Uh, he was pretty cool. And he would, he, everybody got a toothbrush. Right. And everything got a, everybody got a little thing of floss. But then you would get like 
full-size candy bars. <laughs> so the parents would laugh and be like, because he knows he's, you're going to have a bill because right. you're going to see him. Right. But he, but he was smart enough. Like he, didn't, he was like, I don't want my house toilet papered or right. Or right. I can't nice. just give these guys toothbrushes. Uh, so he would give, um, he's one of the few people in, in town that had a really good paying job. So you would get, um, like, like I said, you'd get like full size candy bars. From him. Gotcha. You'd get Hershey bars, Reese Cubs, Kit Kats. Um, last thing that I'll say about a costume, and it's a little plug that I did one time. It's the greatest costume ever. Did a costume for my daughter, which was Bill from uh, uh, Schoolhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just a Bill. I'm just a Bill. And it was literally like a $20 homemade costume. Mm-hmm. And she won every costume contest she was in that year. And every now and then I'll post a picture of people with, oh, that's so great. Right. All it was was the smallest egg crate uh, cushion thing that goes on top of a mattress. Yeah. Uh, but you have to find it in white because a lot of times they're that yellowish, right. beige color. Right. Walmart had them in white. And then you put that egg crate part on the inside and then just rolled it around her. And then I, he has a, he wears kind of like a belt, a sash, a red sash around that kind of held it in place. Right. Cut out holes for the arms. Uh-huh. You're done. And it was Bill. Yeah. And I cut, had cut a little hole for her face to be able to see. And then she just put on some, you know, like uh, she had a white sweatshirt. So that was like the white arms. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, it was so simple and so easy. And everybody, everybody was like, can, oh, can we take a picture with you? Can we take a picture? <laughs> and, she, and she loved that. Yeah. And uh, so, um that's a great, easy uh, Halloween costume for anybody out there. For the three people that are listening at this point, which is my <laughs> wife, your wife, and uh, I don't know, uh, Elizabeth, my friend Elizabeth Osborne, tends to listen and make comment on our uh, right. On our pages. Right. Yeah, uh, I've never done this costume, but it's a picture from when I was a kid, and it was a. Uh, what I, it's funny, I, I know him now because he goes to my church, but he was a youth leader when my sister was in uh, was in the youth group at a church uh, we went to a long time ago. But, um, and I, it sticks out to me because I didn't know what he was when I saw it. And then my mom told me, and I just thought that was the most ingenious idea. But he wore a blue t-shirt with a black P, like the letter P written on it. And then he had some black eyeliner around his eye and he was a black eyed P. And that was his costume. Uh, so. See, I like that. I think that's kind of a dad joke costume. Which yeah. That's why you and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck a bunch of the little, the little tiny cereal boxes. Yeah. To get the little small ones. Yeah. I stuck like five of them on my shirt. Right. And then had like a, a like little tiny knives. Stuck yeah. Each one of them, and I was a serial, serial killer. killer. Yeah. I've, yeah. I think I've seen that one before. So. Um, I enjoyed that one, but yeah, these are dad joke costumes. Yeah. So. so. So let's talk about the critical reception. So uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, gave it, has it a thirty two percent on the tomato meter and a sixty three percent audience score, which I think is pretty accurate imdb gave it 6.5 out of 10 with a 40 on metacritic so once again uh i think those are pretty justified i'm not going to try to justify it any any more than that box office universal released the film on october 30th 1981 in the united states it opened at number one with the in the box office with a total of seven million four hundred forty six thousand five hundred eight dollars on its opening weekend while the gross earnings of the sequel around 25 million paled in comparison to the original's 47 million, it was a success in its own right, exceeding the earnings of other films of the same genre released in 1981, that being Friday the 13th Part 2, which made 21.7 million, The Omen 3, The Final Conflict, which made 20.4 million, and The Howling, which made 18 million. Halloween 2 was a box office success, becoming the second highest grossing horror film 
1981 Behind, An American Werewolf in London. So, wow. All right, well, that's going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much, Ron, for being a part. Thank you for including me, sir. Look forward to the next time. The next uh, episode, we're going to tackle Friday the 13th, the original from 1980, because the next podcast will release on Friday, November the 13th. So, got two horror movies back to back. So, hope you guys enjoyed this one. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini-episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. Also, be on the lookout for our next mini-episode. Each mini-episode offers some fun segments about the previous full episode, and we'll also introduce the next 80s flick we'll be watching and covering in the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback.